Welcome to episode 68 of the GT on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And this week, um, Erickson's CEO um, apparently had an interview with Light Reading, and he was discussing um, Erickson's focus on the enterprise. And, uh, and also alluded to the fact that there might be more M&A activity in Ericsson's future to add to the acquisition that it made in Cradle Point. Mm-hmm. Now, Ian, can, can this be a successful plan? I think it can on a number of fronts. Number one, you know, from a, a, a private you know, networking opportunity, Cradle Point is very, very well positioned. They power some of the most iconic you know, brands that people interact with, including Starbucks, um, I've talked about this in the past, you know, the, the red box mobile kiosks when people were using those uh, quite frequently. And um, the other, you know, the other aspect of Cradle Point is that they are a domestic infrastructure um, supplier. And not that the U.S. has had concerns around, you know, its European counterparts, you know, relative to, you know, the, you know China companies like ZTE and Huawei. But, but certainly, I think it's a smart, you know, move on their part to consider M&A. They would be very wise to consider U.S. companies, and there are quite a few like JMA Wireless and others. I'm not, you know, you know predicting that, you know, JMA is a target for them, but um, I do think it's a smart move. And, you know, and obviously, you know, this is an area that Nokia has done very well in. They've built a very mature enterprise business. Um, I've spent plenty of time with them, and so... You know, I, I think it's a wise strategy, but would love to get your insight. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities for acquisition in this space. Um, and I think your point to having, a, you know, a U.S.-based acquisition potentially being the right move would be a good one. Um, I also think that, you know, there's probably going to be a lot more um, down the road that they'll want to acquire in terms of services, um, especially if we're talking about so like Open RAN and, and other mm-hmm. things like that. So. Um, I think that might be a target as well. Um, but other than that, I, you know, I think you're right on the money. Yeah, no, uh, it's impressive. You know, I, I spoke with uh, Cradle Point's uh, chief marketing officer at the Big 5G event. I may have alluded to that on a prior podcast. And, you know, what he spoke to was, you know, they, they were making investments in 5G um, well ahead of many of their competitors, and they really feel like they have uh, a mature roadmap, and and they do have a very robust set of products. So it'll be interesting to see how things wind out there. But let's move to your first topic this week, and you want to talk about another Open Signal 5G report. Yeah, so um, I saw this Open Signal 5G report. It's very extensive. We'll include the link to it in our in our podcast links. Um, we'll post it on our Twitter account and things like that. Um, But the big takeaway is global average 5G download speeds are 447 megabits per second, which is astonishing when you look at what's happening in the U.S. um, Because U.S. speeds are not remotely as good. And if you look at the full report, um, there's no shockers there. There isn't a single U.S. carrier in any of the top 5G download speeds. Mm-hmm. Um, the only US carrier win that I would say was remotely um, notable was that T-Mobile won number one in um, 
5G availability. Um, I think they tied with STC in Kuwait, which I don't think is a comparison simply because Kuwait is like this big. Um, so that's, you know, that's a different discussion. But T-Mobile, you know, is the global winner in um, 5G coverage. Um, but other than that, none of the U.S. carriers are doing well in upload speed, 5G game experience or 5G video experience. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, I think, a, a really good indicator of where the U.S. is in terms of 5G and that we are behind because we don't have the mid-band spectrum that a lot of these other countries did when they launched and it's starting to show. Um, I think that, you know, the U.S. will catch up as Verizon and AT&T start to, um, you know, deploy their mid-band um, and as T-Mobile continues to mature their mid-band roadmap. Um, and I think that it'll probably change by the end of this year. I think T-Mobile will probably have much higher average speeds as their mid-band continues to roll out. Yeah. But the U.S. is a gigantic country and um, rolling out mid-band is not going to be easy because it doesn't propagate like lower bands do, which is what all the other carriers are quite used to doing, right? Yeah. Verizon and AT&T both have lots of low band experience, not that much mid band or high band experience. Um, and that's why I think it's interesting because T-Mobile has, you know, that 2.5 gigahertz spectrum and they have all the sprint engineers um, that, that rolled that out and they can use that know-how and expertise um, and their footprint to roll out mid band faster than I think the other comp companies will be able to do. Um, and as a result of that, I think, um, you know, it's probably going to be another year or two until we see a U.S. carrier anywhere close to, uh, you know, the top 10 global leaders on uh, 5G download speeds or even upload speeds. Yeah, we've, you know, we've talked about that, that mid-band advantage that, that T-Mobile has had. I think Verizon's also stumbled, right? Like with their deployment of carrier aggregation um, on their network, it actually, it, it took a hit you know, to um, their, their download and upload as well. And uh, yes, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and we've also talked about, you know, sort of the characteristics of C-band and, you know, and, and that's where Verizon really, they bought the most spectrum. And we've talked about that, that particular mid-band spectrum that they purchased through C-band. Um, it has challenges, right? Just given, given where it kind of lays within the spectrum, you know, footprint. And you know the requirement for densification and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a, you know it's a, it's very telling, and it does definitely point to the fact that um, you know T-Mobile continues to lead with respect to um, you know coverage. So, but we'll definitely keep our eyes and ears open for this one and report back on future podcasts. But let me move to my second topic this week, and I want to talk about IBM and Airspan. So they announced a partnership to form a private 5G open RAN test bed for European Union operators. And, you know, so, you know, the, you know, the question is, you know, what are the potential benefits? Well, obviously um, this should accelerate, um, you know, required, you know, proof of concept testing. Um, I've spoken to the fact that, you know, I don't believe that that open RAN is gonna have a demonstrable impact on, you know, current brownfield deployments where it's really gonna, you know, be utilized is gonna be in these, you know, these, these new deployments, you know, Rakuten in Japan, 
potentially Reliance, uh, you know, Geo and India as, as those spectrum options and, and India, you know, wind out and certainly DISH as well. But, you know, certainly I think this is, this is a great move. Uh, Airspand, um, really from my perspective in the small cell space, um, is probably one of the, you know, if not the undisputed leader. And, you know, and IBM is getting serious about 5G, you know, and I've spent time with um, their, their telecom team. And there was another announcement this week, you know, from IBM and Telefonica, uh, where IBM is going to help them, you know, deploy a virtualized 5G core. So, um, you know, IBM lately is really stepping up. So I don't know if you have any additional insights to add, but. Yeah, I was going to say the only other addition I would make is maybe that new one-in-one network um, that Rakuten is helping stand up might benefit from this as well. But I have a feeling that, you know, Rakuten will probably take most of the lead on on most of the things within that network. Um, So it might not necessarily be an opportunity. Um, But yeah, I think there's going to be more opportunities as people start to realize the benefits of 5G. And then you'll probably start to see a lot more private, um, new private 5G networks taking advantage of open RAN. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention a final thing too with Rakuten. So I was part of a, an analyst um, um, call last week and um, Cisco brought um, Tarek, you know, their CTO on the call. And I was able actually to ask him a direct question um, around, you know, the, the challenges with, you know, performance given that open RAN is really, you know, it's cost optimized, not performance optimized. And he said, just wait, um, they're going to be revealing some statistics um, that point to pretty robust performance with their open RAN deployment. So um, as that news breaks, we'll definitely share that on a future podcast. But let's move to your second topic this week. And you want to talk about Samsung. Yeah, so um, Samsung made a big announcement earlier this week. Um, It was around a collaboration with T3 Broadband. And the collaboration is specifically focused around delivering 4G and 5G um, CBRS and RAN innovations to kind of like uh, promote growth and and opportunities in rural broadband. Um, They... T3's area of expertise is in, um, you know, being able to roll out these kinds of networks in rural areas. Um, And the fact that they're combining both CBRS and other um, mid bands. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this rolls out and, you know, how this benefits rural operators. Um, And, you know, just the idea that, you know, C3, sorry, T3 is able to use Samsung um, to deploy, you know, a complete network. Um, And hopefully they can do it in a way that's cost effective. Um, But yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see, you know, Samsung continuing to get wins um, in the U S and, and, you know, take advantage of um, the fact that they already have experience in CBRS in the U S yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, Samsung on the device side, they were one of the first to uh, introduce CBR support, you know, on, on, the, on the Galaxy um, handsets. And, you know, you're right, you know, they're, they're winning in the U.S. even beyond, you know, their, their initial launch partner in, in Verizon, right? We've spoken about that on, on our podcast. Well, so it seems like, you know, Samsung Networks is really stepping up and they're beginning to take more share. And 
that's a great segue to my third and final topic this week is I want to talk about T-Mobile's fixed wireless access service footprint. Um, they recently announced an expansion of, of that coverage to 51 new major metro areas. So um, that brings their total footprint to over 600 locations throughout the United States. You know, and I've, I've spoken to, to FWA as um, a key element in helping to bridge the digital divide, you know, to those areas that are underserved, you know, you know, by fiber, you know, backhaul, that, that sort of thing. And I mean, this, I mean, they're just kicking ass with, with their FWA deployment. When you compare it to Verizon, um, Verizon is only in 57 major metro areas. So this expansion almost equals Verizon's entire footprint. And then it takes it to like, again, over 600 locations. So, I mean, here's another area where, you know, T-Mobile is really kicking some ass. So what are your thoughts? I have some mixed thoughts. Um, one, I actually have the T-Mobile home broadband solution. Mm -hmm. um, it's incredibly easy to use. Um, it's very easy to set up. Um, it's basically, you know, use Wi-Fi 6. It's, it's a very modern solution. There's still some room for improvement, but mm -hmm. I think the real thing is, is that um, it needs mid-band yeah, um, yeah. because if you look at the performance without mid-band, which somehow I'm able to get this without mid-band, um, it's, you know, mediocre. Um, but when you have mid-band, it's a lifesaver. Like I've seen multiple journalists write about how they left Spectrum and switched to T-Mobile because T-Mobile's faster and cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, and T-Mobile's very aggressive. You know, they're promoting 50 bucks a month for this service. Yeah. Um, so they really want people to switch over. Um, and, you know, admittedly, their costs to deploy this are very low once they have mid-band in place. Um, because the reality is, is that, you know, if they have enough capacity with mid-band, they can get a, get a lot done. Um, yeah. So I think with mid-band, this is really their, their strength. And I think... Um, long-term, all fixed wireless will be anchored on the mid-band uh, with the exception of Verizon's millimeter wave. Um, but even I think Verizon will probably start to offer fixed wireless in places uh, where they don't have millimeter wave because they'll have mm -hmm. enough capacity between their C-band spectrum, um, CBRS, and even maybe some other bands that they might acquire. Um, so I, I think that this is going to be a long-term technology for everybody. Um, and yet, to your point, you know, T-Mobile's execution on mid-band and, you know, just overall 5G deployment has given them an opportunity to get ahead of the competition. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're still in the early stages of this. And you, know, to your, you make a very good point. You know, once, you know, um, T-Mobile can effectively, you know, deploy mid-band, you know, against that FWA footprint, um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to potentially be a game changer. So. But hey, your third and final topic this week, you want to talk about Ericsson as well, but you want to talk about uh, a new massive MIMA. Yeah, so last week we spoke about how they rolled out some really low power efficient equipment. Um, yeah. and that was in the UK and, you know, power is going to be a big discussion long term. But another thing that's going to be a big discussion long term, and it kind of already is, is this will, this new um, RAN equipment is a new radio. It's the Air 3268. Um, it's for massive MIMO, specifically 5G. It weighs 40% less than its predecessor at 26 pounds and packs 200 watts of output and is designed specifically for mid-band deployments around 3.5 gigahertz. 
um, and they um, are kind of uh, looking at saving 10% of power just on this as well. So this is a savings of weight um, and it's also a savings of power. Um, and these are gonna be things that matter long-term to many operators um, because as you know, one of their biggest, if not their biggest cost is power because right. all the equipment needs to be on all the time. Um, you can't just turn it off when everybody goes to sleep. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities here. And, and I think that the reduced size and weight um, is going to be really important because um, they're going to have to deploy mid-band in a lot more places mm -hmm. um, and maybe in places where they don't have as much room uh, or as much infrastructure to handle the weight um, that they might need. So having fewer antennas uh, in more places might be something that might be uh, more appropriate. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a welcome improvement. And I hope to see more companies, you know, adopting this uh, along with what Ericsson is doing. And I think, you know, Ericsson is kind of the scene as the leader in a lot of places, especially on, you know, the edge of innovation. Um, right. So I'm hoping to see other, uh, you know, infrastructure providers uh, come to market with similar improvements. Yeah, you know, Ericsson's had a traditionally very strong, you know, footprint with, within radio access network. And um, this points to it, you know, and the power savings is huge. I think we've talked about that in the past, you know, from, you know, from, a, from an OPEX perspective. But just the reduced weight as well. I mean, you, you make a very good point. It's just going to provide, you know, operators more flexibility, um, you know, to get these things stood up, you know, you know, you know, more, you know, ubiquitously. Um, and, you know, I've, I spent time, you know, with Sprint, you know, at a couple of Mobile World Congress LAs ago, you know, and, and you know, and John Saw was sort of demonstrating kind of the evolution of, you know, moving to massive MIMO and talking more antennas on that array and just, you know, what it does from a footprint, footprint perspective. It also reduces the need to have, you know, all, all of that gear, you know, associated with it as well. So you're, you're you know, you're, you're, you're shrinking the, the radio units as well. So um, it's quite impressive. So, but hey, buddy, another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us with insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Whale Town Tech and I'm at Anshel Saad. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.